0: Hey, Sharana, and today I got something cool for you. Today is actually a reverse podcast. And what happened was I recently did an interview with my good friend, Jared Getz, who is an awesome entrepreneur and also runs the Modern Soul podcast. So what I want you to do right now is hit pause and go and subscribe to the Modern Soul podcast. Just check out the last few interviews and he's putting out some insane content. You will love his energy, his inquisitiveness, and his influence, and he's thinking about the world in a completely different way. So I'm really excited for that. And when Jared and I went through this, the first thing I kind of emailed him after was like, hey, would you be okay if I actually shared our entire interview on my show? Could I just, because what we did, what we went through, the storytelling, the insights was so on point because of Jared's energy, and more importantly, because of the topics that we covered. we covered The topics we covered were about focus, about productivity, about being intentional, about how you actually get stuff done without creating stress and overwhelm. All the stuff they actually do not teach you in business school, which is exactly what my show and my mission is all about. So today, uh, with Jared's permission, and uh, what is also gonna be featured on The Modern Soul, is a, um, an interview that I did with my friend, Jared Getz. So get ready for that, and it starts right now. One thing is for certain, just because it's tried and true doesn't mean it's working right now. So the big question is this, where can you learn what is working right now? The strategies, the tactics, the psychology, and the exact how-to how to grow your business? How to blow up your personal brand and supercharge your personal growth? That is the question, and this podcast will give you the answer. My name is Sharon Trivata, and welcome to Business School.
1: Hey guys, Jared gets here, and welcome to the Modern Soul. In today's episode, I'm interviewing someone who came over here from India, played professional tennis, and then went on to exit five companies his name is Sharan Srivatsa, and more than his accomplishments i really admire his mindset and the tools that he uses to figure out what his days look like and how he stays on task day after day after day this guy has been waking up at 4:45 a.m. for 6 years straight he runs a club called the 5 a.m. club where he has 6000 guests get on every morning for 5 minutes to start their day off right Aside from that, we get into some really incredible topics. We talk about how we live in an age of more information than ever. So sometimes we don't know what's causing us to feel stress and anxiety. I like to call it ambient anxiety. It's a feeling that you have and you don't know where it's coming from. We talk about how we tap into that and we talk about how to stay consistent. So guys, if you think that this will benefit you, stay tuned, this is a really, really good one. Anything we're referencing, any of the resources, books, or tools will be posted below and on my website, com. So stay tuned and enjoy and let me know what you think. My good friend Sharon Shivatsa, how are you doing today, my friend?
0: Yeah, I'm so I'm so happy to be here. I'm excited for the podcast and just want to share some value, man.
1: Hell yeah. And you know, I think you said your day has been like mine. We've been on you know Mondays. Yeah, I, I try to, I try to keep my days pretty scheduled, like from 12 to four quality work. I think life's about balance, but Mondays I have no balance, but what, what do you, what do you, what are your Mondays? Like
0: uh, mine are very similar. They're actually by design. And so uh, earlier this year, Jared, I, I won my coach and I worked on this idea of uh, actually stacking the week. It's it's a really powerful concept where we, I I, I rest well on the weekends. And so I have a very, my Mondays are my busiest days. So I stack them really hard. So my Mondays are my busiest. So my Mondays and Tuesdays are my busiest. Wednesdays get a little better. And Thursdays are, I do a lot of, um, you know, kind of creative content creation on Thursdays. And generally I call Fridays my buffer days. Fridays are off, no, no bookings on my calendar. So I use Fridays as creative days, buffer days to think. I almost feel like I need that day just to recapture, rethink, rebuild. That way, I almost feel like I have a, break Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and I can come back hard. But noon on Wednesday, I've probably accomplished everything that the week has to deliver.
1: It's funny, I designed my weeks very similarly, like the weekends, you know, Saturday, I'm doing nothing. I'm spending time with my fiance, with the dogs, I'm laying on the couch, I'm doing all the stuff that I don't normally do. Sundays, I'll play golf and get organized. But Monday is crazy like that. And then it kind of tailors off. But Shron, you're always extremely intentional with everything that you do. I mean, I've known you for probably about six to eight months now, maybe a little bit more. We've spoken a bunch of times. You've given me some really solid advice in my life, and you've had some incredible accomplishments yourself, which I think being so intentional has allowed you to achieve what you have. So you're originally from India, right? And you, you were a pro tennis player? Yeah, so the story... Well, it's kind of, the, it's one of those,
0: you're, you're, you're a good golfer. It's one of those never was, has been type stories. And the reason is my, my, my father, um, I, when I was growing up as a kid, they, in India, it's very, I was born in India. And when you're growing up as a kid, you don't really talk about a few of these things. And I didn't know what that meant. So for example, I was, I'm called blind. I'm tone deaf. Well, it doesn't matter what that is. You get kicked out of art class and music class. It's kind of weird. And then I'm I'm dyslexic, I have ADD, ADHD, so I can't read properly, and I, I can't do math. So if you think about it, I can't read, I can't do math. I get I kicked out of music, kicked out of art, and I was the smallest kid growing up. I didn't hit my, I'm six feet tall now, but I didn't hit my growth spurt until high school. So-
1: So you, were, was, you, were, you were destined to be a failure.
0: Dude, like it, I was the the runt, like I was the little piglet, right? <laughs> and, and And the interesting part is, when all those things come together, one thing happens and is said, you get, you're the, you're the perfect candidate to get bullied because it's super easy to pick on you, right? Like everybody, you can't hang out with the jocks. You can't hang out with the intellectuals. You, you can't hang out with the artists. Like you can't hang out with anybody, right? So uh, I, I remember this story and you, you'll appreciate this. There was a, from classroom to classroom, I remember going to this classroom and I probably had to walk maybe 50 feet to go to the next classroom between classes, in middle school. And I ran almost a third of the mile around campus to get to the other classroom because the lockers were in between and I would get beaten, right? And so I was like, I had much, so I had me in my backpack and I would just run. <laughs> and my, my father realizes pretty quickly. He realized that something was wrong. I didn't have the courage to tell him that. I, I, I didn't know any different. Uh, and I didn't have the courage to tell him one. I remember this was my tw- 11th birthday, I think. We we're sitting on a park bench and my dad said to me, he goes, hey, I think that uh, there's probably a better place for you to grow and flourish in your talents. And I'm 11 years old, right? And he goes, I've really been thinking about, you know, maybe we can get you to Australia or to the UK or to the US. And I'm like, "You're I'm 11, you're kicking me out of the house? Like, this is crazy. And I think my dad, who had never left India, had learned early on that something was wrong and he felt the need to say, all right, Structurally, the system's not okay for my son. And then Jared, I am not joking. We were sitting in front of two tennis courts. My dad said to me, he goes, we just need a skill. We need a capability to allow you to kind of launch out of here to give you kind of the, your your proverbial passport. And he looks at it and he goes, do you think you can cut it? I'm like, cut tennis? I've never hit a tennis ball in my life. And, and he says, well, it's an individual sport. You can still win you're young enough to learn, you have decent hand-eye coordination for now. And whether it be you being the smallest kid doesn't matter because otherwise you play soccer, football, whatever, you being small matters. So that was the day we made academics secondary and made tennis primary in my family. So it was just, it, I was the only child. And so it was almost like a family accountability, a family goal of getting me to being good enough to being to 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 leave the country, either on a scholarship or whatever, and so um, that was the entire story of like learning tennis as a means to an end to get out of India.
1: So so your family was kind of like Sharon, you know, you can't read, you're not good at math, we got to figure out something for you, right. and you decided on tennis. And like, how did you then just decide? Okay, I'm gonna get good at tennis. Did you start practicing? Did you get a coach? Like, how did you get yes. good at tennis?
0: Yeah, totally. Great question. So uh, literally my, my, we signed up for lessons every day. And uh, so my dad's, one of my dad, my dad's friend was a personal trainer. So he, um, my dad and I worked out together every morning. And so I remember this and I I was never an early riser or anything. There were times when my dad would literally pour like water on my face at 5am. And saying get up we need to go like he said this is what we promised like literally and i'm like dad the pillow he goes up let's go right and so we used to wake up so i used to train in the mornings and then i used to play tennis in the evenings and every single day seven days a week and uh it just became a that's my life became just getting just developing that skill and capability so then when did you actually come to the u.s so when I was uh, 13, 14 years old, I started to play on the pro tennis tour. Uh, and this is like, think of it as the, in golf, this would be like the Hooters leagues or or the, you know, kind of the 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 le- before the PGA. So yeah. in, in tennis, they call them the satellites and challengers. That's the pre ATP, but you can still get pro points for that. And so I started playing, I played all of Southeast Asia. Um, and I, I, I was like, not, not homeschooled, but away school as my mom called it. Literally, I was in school while I was traveling. And then I didn't realize that once you actually get a pro point in tennis, you are a, you're pro. And once you turn to be, once you're pro, you can't play college tennis in the U S cause you can't go from pro to amateur status.
1: So you screwed yourself out of college tennis. I did by getting a pro point.
0: I got one pro point And then Ohio state basically said to me, Hey, we saw that you got a pro point. You're you're, you literally got, you got kicked out of, we, we have to rescind our offer. I'm like, This is the entire idea. This is the whole plan of doing this. And uh, a lot of kids, what they used to do is they used to play these tournaments, which I learned later. And right right before getting the pro point, like at the end of the qualifying rounds, they would actually tank and lose. Wow. So they would get all the benefits of the experience, but they would not get the pro points. And that's how they would still el- eligible for college tennis in the U.S. And so, I couldn't play I couldn't play D one or D two tennis, but I went on an academic scholarship to play D three tennis. And uh, so I played D three tennis at a small school in Iowa because the only that's the only thing I could get to. And that was the start of my uh, uh, that that's how I got to the U.S.
1: So you ended you did end up going to college.
0: I, I ended up going to college uh, on an academic scholarship, and uh, so I got I up my grades and all of that. And then I played I played Division three no cut no cut tennis.
1: And, and did you come to the US by yourself or were you with family?
0: Um no, but my it was uh, my parents actually are not super well off. They were, you know, middle class family. My dad was a professor uh, in the local university. My mom was a nutritionist and they sold every single thing that they had to give me one check. So they paid for a full year's worth of everything. Uh room, board, tuition, laundry. How much uh, my, money
1: was that back then?
0: I was like maybe $30,000, $30, $35,000 maybe. Like, so it was it was, it was a whole, it was back, so it was everything for the first year. And my dad handed me this check and he says, hey, here's everything that we have. This is yours. This is for the first year of school. Uh, we hope you can make years two, three, and four. If you can't, come back and we'll take care
1: of you. Like that was a really good safety net. Right, so, so you were just sent off and it was like, you have to figure it out because here's everything we got for you.
0: Correct, yeah.
1: You had, so, a, you had a lot of pressure on you.
0: Well, it, it was pressure, but it was also- um, a Safety net. Yeah, I was like looking for, I was like, wow, this is amazing. Like I can go do whatever I want to do in a, in a society that will actually appreciate me at least before I screw up or do anything stupid. And um, so I, I showed up in the US with one at the one year grace period and I uh, had a chance to build a brand new life. And I have not, since then, I've been back home once.
1: Now, now, wh- how much culturally different was it coming from India to then going to college in the in the U.S.? Oh, I mean, it, it was night and day,
0: right? Um, I'll tell you this, I haven't told a lot of people this, my, my first day in college, we were in the sticks in, in Iowa. My first day in college, I, I get into my dorm room and... Um, I get a, uh, this so that's of my first day, my second day, I get this call that says the president of the school and the dean want to meet with me. I was like, I've been here 24 hours. What did I do wrong that the president of the school and the dean want to meet with me? So I get, so of course I show up and they, they meet with me and they're like, Sharon, we take, uh, you know, multiculturalism really um, uh, if seriously at the school. We want to make sure you're okay about the recent incidents towards you. I was like, what recent incidents? Well, someone apparently, which I didn't even know, by the way, had etched on my door, had etched on my door, the only good Indian is a dead Indian.
1: Oh my wow. God. Can you imagine that? And <laughs> this is, you, so you're, you're pretty much by yourself in college and somebody wrote that on your door?
0: Yeah, and I had no, and someone saw it and like reported it because it was like a hate crime.
1: But you were kind of used to being bullied in your in your life because when you were a child you were bullied.
0: I thought it was a joke. I was so like, were, that, that's that's hilarious. And, and, it, it, and it didn't faze you. No, I, I I was not afraid at all. I was like, I don't even know what you're talking about. But this is kind of funny. And they're like, Well, we take this here. So they had this guy come down and like sand my door. And I'm like, this is totally fine. This is hilarious. But but if you think about the gravity of the situation, that was, you know. Talk about being in a new place, trying to do new things. And um, I'll give you the, the, the funniest story of all is, since I didn't have money, I, uh, a lot of things happened that first week, but the one thing that I'll never forget is my, my ability to understand English was decent because in India, you actually go to school where like you know where they teach you in English, but you didn't have, the kids never had to talk. so right. I understood I had, your just,
1: accent was strong.
0: Yeah, it was very strong, and and so I could barely speak. I couldn't speak very well, but I understood everything fine. And I needed a job because I really had to make some money for the next few years. So I, so I went to work study, and I said, "Hey, how do I get a job?" And they said, "Well, uh, what shifts do you want?" And I was super embarrassed. I I didn't know it was normal to work in the U.S. So I was I was super embarrassed. So I said, "Well, can I just get the graveyard shift?" They were like, "Okay, sure." So I spent. So I got a custodian. So I was a custodian in the science building from midnight to 6 a.m., right? Because I thought that no one would see me there and it would be like, you know, I wouldn't be embarrassed, like mopping floors and cleaning bathrooms and all of that. So the first day I show up on this, uh, really, you know, I think the the custodian who'd been there like 20 years was like, hey, kid, let me teach you the way, like, let me teach you how to mop a floor because you probably don't know. And he taught me and I learned not hard, but I cleaned bathrooms and mopped floors and all of that. And this guy was like hilarious, he was super funny. And he would tell me these jokes and I would laugh so hard. And then I would try to tell him jokes that I knew. And he'd be like, so after I told him like two or three times, he'd be like, that's really funny, Sharon. Like, if you if only I could understand you, I'd, I would have laughed the first time. <laughs> and, and so I said, well, what do I do? He goes, this is what you should do, go to the library and check out some accent tapes, like learn English. I go, oh, good idea. Jared, I show up at the library and I'm like, hey, can I get some accent tapes? She goes, well, for what language? I said, English. She goes, well, just FYI, when people come here, like they talk to other people, I have accent tapes for French and German and Spanish, but I don't have English tapes. So I said, well, what do I do? She says, well, why don't I just give you a book on tape and you can just listen to it? So she hands me like a, like these these CDs, um, and I had the old, I don't even remember this. The, it was, you, you're too young for this. But how old now. are you now? And how long ago was this? I'm 40. So this was when I was 6, 17. Okay. And, and so she, um, I had a little disc man, Sony disc man. And so she hands me this, you know, this, this, I don't even know what it is. She hands me a book, uh, uh, a stack of CDs. So I put it in, and my custodian tells me, hey, you have six hours of mopping floors. Like you're going to be, you're going to learn English in no time. Yeah. So the funny part is the book that she gave me was Tony Robbins, personal power. Wow. So the first book that I ever listened to was about personal growth. And the, the reason i speak the way i do like i generally yell when i speak and i only know how to speak because tony yells like i have no i thought that's how you spoke english i had no idea so i learned to speak just screaming all the time. like my wife says like my wife's like you need to just calm down i go i this is how i speak oh i know <laughs> so, so but but very i was super fortunate that like when you listen to you know incantations and mindset stuff without even the intention of it. And that's what was being listened to and being programmed. Literally, I, that could have been, I could have been listening to War and Peace or Tony Robbins. And yeah. by stroke of you know universal luck, I was listening to personal growth stuff, which is what kind of started me on this. It gave me an, I probably, I think it gave me an early advantage on this.
1: That's the perfect example of not having any expectations and then getting led down a path that you're meant to get led down. I mean, you literally were embarrassed to mop floors and the guy that was teaching you at to a mop told you to get some tapes. And now you're, you're force-fed self-help material that I'm assuming helped propel your career. From there. So, so what was next in your career? Like how did you, I mean, you've exited five companies now. So how did you go from, you know, a, a kid who came from India was getting bullied to exiting five companies? So, uh, I'm sure it's a long story, but like, well,
0: no, we can, we can, we can do it fast because I, I think that um, I'll tell the first, I'll tell the, I'll give you the first exit story and there's probably a lesson in there. The first one is yeah, so hey, I, would, real quick,
1: was this, was this your first big break in business? Because yeah. I, I always talk about when, once you get that first big break, you outperform what you, what your limited beliefs are, which is something that Tony Robbins talks about a lot. And that first big break is kind of the thing that you can hold on to and leverage. To get that second, third, fourth, fifth, and so on. So first, yeah. this is your yeah. first big break. This
0: is my first big one, and, and you know, I, I was very fortunate that I got the big one right out of the gate. Um, my, I, I'll, I'll literally will tell you my goal. My goal when I left India, of coming to the US, was that I would get a. I was a. I was a computer science math major. Um, for some reason, I I like computers a lot, and all I wanted was to get a hundred thousand dollar a year job that is all I wanted. Like I said, if I if I can make a hundred grand a year, no one, like th- I have hit the jackpot. Like this is the greatest thing that can happen to me ever. Yeah. And what happened was, um, so my senior year of college, I wrote this paper, this uh, this paper on technology, and it, it got chosen to present it in Berkeley at a computer science conference, like total nerd, nerd conference. So I go to present it on stage and there's three judges, on it, that are listening to my stuff. So I present my stuff. I never presented anything before, I present my stuff. And then I come off stage and one guy, one of the judges peels off, walks up to me and says, hey, Sharon, great presentation. By the way, you're not gonna win. I was like, oh man, this sucks. It tells me straight up, you're not gonna win. However, what you shared could be the missing piece to a company that I just invested in. I was like, okay. He goes, let me connect you with the founders. And maybe this is of interest to you. I said, sure, I'm looking for a job anyway. Like I need to get my $100,000 a year goal. So this was during the technology boom in the Bay Area. This was 1999, 2000. So this was, that's when everything was happening. And so they connected me with the founders. I got my first uh, entree into technology. So I was, not a, I was not a founder, but I was one of the earliest employees. So I got stock options and all of that. I got to build something from the ground up. They used my technology to incorporate as a core part of their product. So I got to build a core part of that. And uh, the as a as a business, we raised a little over $26 million in venture funding. And uh, these are all public numbers. And uh the after three years, the I the, after three years, that business got bought before by another public company for 550 million. And, and so I had my small piece of that, which I was able to pay off all student debt because I'd taken those over the years. I was able to pay back my parents. I was able to do everything that was I was able to get completely debt free and also give myself five year, a five year runway. So wow. that's when I said, and, and, and I was single. So a five year runway was not that much money, but because right. if I said a five year runway, meaning if I didn't have rent and all of that, like what, what would I do? So for five years, I took five years off um, and I went and I taught tennis for five years, that was my way of doing. So I was in the Caribbean for a year, Dubai for a year and on Maui for three years teaching tennis. And that was the, that that time gave me like every day I would sit down, I would journal or write business ideas that gave me more perspective than, than any other time. And, but I remember where I, Jared I was not equipped to build a business when I was 21 years old, I, I knew nothing. I knew how to write code. I had zero idea how to pitch venture capitalists. I knew nothing. I had to learn all of that on the job. I didn't even know how to do, I didn't know how to be productive. I didn't have a productivity system. I didn't know how to manage email. I didn't know how to manage my time. I didn't know how to, like, I literally didn't know anything. And I had yeah. to talk, I had to learn that by and myself.
1: That's, that's the best way to learn. I mean, I have a very similar first big win. And I may have told you about this. It's yeah. I got basically approached by a company called Yik Yak, which was a startup company. They raised $10 million. They wanted to sponsor my shows, which I wasn't throwing anymore. And instead I told them what they should do. So they were like, this could be a huge missing piece to our company. Just like you, I came on board. I implemented all the marketing. I saw them raise another $62 million. It opened my eyes. I made my little exit. And that was like the first big break from my beliefs of like what I thought was possible as well. Yeah. So yeah. so after this now you're like okay you did the $100,000 thing you're, you're playing tennis you're all over the world you're meeting cool people uh like what brought you your next your next thing like what was the next thing you wanted to do at this yeah, point Yeah
0: so so uh there's a couple things that happened in there and I'll I'll share that with you but there there's a, there's a cool lesson here and the lesson like and I keep thinking about this is you, we always find people that say well if Jared could do it if Sharon could do it you can do it too and I don't think that's accurate. That's not fair to say, because you you have a completely different set of skill set capabilities, mindset support system, and so do I. And it's hard for me to say, well, if he can do it or she can do it, I can do it too. And I, I was like that. But Jared, here's the big lesson I've learned. I don't, people always say, well, just model Jared and you'll be fine. I'm like, no, you can't, you can't, mo- like, there's no way you can model Jared. He's a stud, like it's super hard. But I think that there's a key here. And the key is, instead of modeling the person could we model their support system right so now instead of, instead of modeling tiger woods could could i model his trainer his coach like what did who who did he have in place to bring out his talents and can i get something similar and model that support system for myself that will bring out my personal my own unique talents and i think that a lot of times we get so fixated on the on the call it the Trumps or the Musks or the whoever's of the world. And we say, well, I want to be like them, but you don't realize that they are who they are because of their support systems. And, and, and so if I, I've been, that's why I've been on this, on this mad dash towards saying, huh, when I talk to my mentors right now, I'm like, I want to figure out what do they like, what are their rituals? What are their routines and what are their support systems? Once you figure that out, you quickly figure out what their beliefs are because then it shatters all your like glass ceiling beliefs, right? So to me, when I'm talking to my mentors, I'm like, hey, so what do you, when you wake, when you wake up on a Sunday, what do you do? Um, When you, when you get a really crappy email, like, how do you think about it? And if they walk you through that, you're like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. I don't have to wait 10 years to figure this out.
1: Yeah. And you're, you're somebody who I come to with those types of questions because you've accomplished more in your career than I have so far. So I like to, I, I, I totally resonate with you. It's like, when you wake up in the morning, like what's your first thought? Like, where does where does your mind go to get you on the right track? I mean, on that note, like for you, what it what is that like? Like, what do you what yeah. are your first thoughts in the morning?
0: T- totally. So um, I I realized that very quickly, and I think you nailed it. You just by that, you just nailed it. I think what we create when we're up in the morning, we have a choice. We could either we can either kind of be go to a default routine of I'm going to check my email, see what's on social, and then react to it, or I'm going to create something every morning. And yes. um, my mentor Walter Schneider, he uh, he has, you know, he, he one of my mentors in the real estate space. He has forty one thousand agents around the world. He he has he owns one third of the world in Remax. I like guess it's insane. Like he, and so he told me, he goes, uh, create before you consume. Super cool thing, right? He's like create before you consume. So what I do every morning if for for folks, this is the truth, every morning at 5 a.m. is I run this thing called the 5 a.m. Club Call. It's 5 a.m. Pacific time every single day, seven days a week, 365 days a year for five minutes every morning. And it's just five minutes. It's a phone call. It's totally free. And there's one message at 5 a.m. It's generally me. And we have got a couple other co-hosts that do that on the days that I'm traveling, et cetera. But uh, the goal is you just everybody gets on I, you can hear everybody live. I mute everybody. We do one quick message, three to five minutes, and then we're off. And that's kind of their verbal espresso for the day. And so my job, like I, I start my day, I wake up at 4.45, I get up, I stretch a little bit, I put my sweats on, and I go to the call, and I get a chance to create that one thought every morning. And so it's my personal accountability to, one, serve, but to also, if I have to create that, I have to show up with energy, I have to show up with some kind of you know, meaningfulness in the morning... And Jared, I'll tell you the days that I, there are days that I do the call and some days that I don't, I can tell a huge difference because I've been doing this every single day for the last five years. We have 6,000 plus people on the call right now. Wow. Every single morning. And it started wow. and no marketing, no pay, nothing. Just and, just, uh, to
1: do, just to hold yourself accountable and to make yourself create in the morning.
0: Yeah. and And my coach came up with this thing where she said to me, she, so this was two years ago. She said, "Sharon, no more preparing your message the night before." So literally, I show up at 4:55, and I kind of like do a deep-centered meditation for just a minute. I know you're you have you have a great meditation practice, and I go and I'm like, "Okay, what was the message from yesterday that really resonated? Maybe my children, my wife, my business partner, my work." And yeah. then you're able to take that story and succinctly build it into a message and deliver it. So it's super original, and, and then you,
1: and you push yourself onto the path you want to be on for the day. So right. I'm sure a lot of people can relate. And I'm a believer that your energy, especially in the morning, is very fragile. Yeah. What you what you're served, like if you wake up and you check Instagram and you see something about politics that turns you off, you're gonna have that weird eerie feeling for hours to come. Yeah. And your energy is very fragile and you don't really have control over it if you're just consuming. If you're opening your email, if you're looking at your text, you're looking at your Instagram, first thing, you don't really know. Like maybe you get something good from it that starts you off the right way, but maybe you don't. So I think that the takeaway of creating before you consume, I think anyone listening, that's such a powerful little tidbit. I mean, that's something that I'm going to start thinking about even more regularly. And that's such a good way to simplify it. I mean, I'm always thinking more complex. Like you you need this time uh, to yourself in the morning. And I have a non-negotiable one hour in my meditation room every morning. Yeah. Not that I'm meditating for an hour. Sometimes I'm meditating for 40 minutes. Sometimes it's 10 minutes, but I'm in that room with no phone, with just music, just the sauna, just stretching, just a notebook for an hour. And that's probably been the single biggest thing that I've implemented in my life that's had the biggest effect on my happiness my fulfillment and my career.
0: Yeah. I think you're spot on. And I'll tell you, I think all of us are very bio-individual, right? They're very different in how we're wired. Jared, I've realized I've done, since I'm up at five, I've done a lot of uh, different morning routines. I am actually a believer. I think there are people that have a routine in the morning and people that don't. And I think that's a big determination between your success and your are not. I'm not, so here's what I use. I've tried the whole, um, you know, a, a tai chi in the morning. I've tried the whole like, hey, I've got to, I've got to like chug a bunch of water. I tried to, I've got a journal. I've tried like, you know, I got, to, I got to do P ninety X. I got to exercise. I got to, I got to do all of that. I just realized that's that doesn't work for me. Like, I, I don't. It got too complex where I was like, oh, I got to do twenty minutes of this, forty minutes of that. Yeah. And and it's just it was too much. So here's so what you don't I'll tell you.
1: anything because you're thinking, oh my God, I have to do all this stuff. So then yeah. you're like, I didn't want to do any of
0: it. Uh, totally, and and I'll tell you, like literally, for me, I wake up at four forty five every single day because that's just I have one alarm, and then my five to six thirty a.m. Generally speaking, I do only one of two things, and it's super easy. I I try to simplify my life significantly, and I call it the farm boy morning routine. You know, you know Craig Valentine talks about it too. Literally, I wake up. What does a farm boy do? He feeds chickens and the sheep, and he does the work in the morning. And I believe that it's super easy for me if I set up where if I can just if I want to I write a lot and you, you know you and I, I talked about content creation for me writing is super therapeutic it's not I'm not the best writer but it helps me clarify what's in my head a lot Yeah. Um. because my my dad used to tell me this he said you know fear has no place on paper and right. I love that saying because right. he's like, if you're afraid about something if you write about it it labels it and it's on paper so my favorite thing to do in the morning is only one of two things I wake up and i I normally, the night before, will set up what I'm going to do in the morning. Like, I'll literally pull up the document. I'll pull up the prompts. And that way, when I show up, I can just grab my cup of coffee, and I can just write. And by 6.30, I'm like, wow, I got so much done that it it would not have been able to do any other time. And I either do that, or this is crazy that I'm telling you this. I am not joking. I literally sometimes don't want to do anything. I will sit slouched on this big leather chair that I have in front of my fireplace in my house. It doesn't matter if it's if it's 80 degrees out, but it's dark, it's cool in the house. I just love the crackling yeah. sound of the fire. I just love the movement. And I just sit there, lights off. I just sit there, no phone. And sometimes I'll doze off, sometimes I'll come back. And to me, that's a very kind of like drifting state. It's very therapeutic for me. Yeah. I just wanna be centered before I begin my yeah. day. And so to yeah. me, it's either a, how am I feeling today? Farm boy morning routine or you know, hang out by the fire. That way it's super easy and regardless, when my kids wake up at 6.45, seven, I'm a really good dad. Like I've gotten all the crap out of my head and I'm in in a
1: good place. So I I think a lot of people consume so much stuff because we live in an age of unlimited information. That's not necessarily wisdom, it's information. So people are learning about my morning routine, your morning routine, Tim Ferriss' morning routine, Elon Musk's morning routine. (laughs) And they're like, oh, my God, I have to do all this stuff to be successful. But it's like, no, you actually just need to figure out what works for you. And it's cool. You've simplified it. Either the farm boy or sitting in front of a fireplace. Either one's good for you. Now, I have a question for you. So you wake up every morning at, at, at 445. Yep. I have trouble waking up in the morning. Yep. I could wake up in the morning. There's been six-month streaks that I've woken up at 5 o'clock every day. There's been three month streaks where I sleep until my eyes open up yeah. but like I my brain. And I, and I, I like to tell myself it's because I think I'm smart. My brain is good at convincing me of things, but <laughs> it might be because I'm weak. I don't know what it is. My brain is really good at keep convincing me that I don't need to get up when I want to get up the night before. I'm like, I'm getting up tomorrow morning. I'm doing this. I, I know it'll set my day the right way. But then in the morning I'm like, yeah, you know, it's five, I could go do that, or I could do it in an hour, I could sleep a little bit more. How do you get yourself up out of bed? Yeah, good, good
0: question. So I'll give you two, two there are two answers. Um, one is for folks that have built in accountability, like me, I have 6,000 people waiting on a call. So I kinda-
1: I That's to, a good one.
0: Yeah, but uh, this is gonna sound super weird, but I'll, I'll, I'll walk through it. If there's any one thing that I do, and this works for me, again, very bio-individual, it's the same practice that I run every single night and that is that's what sets me up for the day. And um, this goes back to a very interesting story. My, my 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 I was living in India with my parents. We had a small one bedroom apartment in the heart of the city in Chennai. And my dad, after dinner, he would sit down at he my we'd clear the dining table out. My dad would sit down at the dining table. He would open his leather bind kind of leather journal for the day. He would write tomorrow's date on the on a page, and he would just write like one two three four five the things that he had to do for the day. And he called it you can create tomorrow today. That was his way of, he always tell me, hey, Sharon, you gotta create tomorrow today. And Jared, you would do it every single night, right? Every Great single advice. night. And so I didn't really understand what that meant. I was like, it seems so mechanical. Yeah. So what I do now is the, the two minutes before I actually fall asleep, right? When I'm ready to go to bed, I, this is gonna sound hokey, but it's super powerful. I close my eyes and I visual, it'll actually be faster while I do it than I tell tell everybody what it is, but I'll, I'll tell everybody what it is. So I yeah. close my eyes and I visualize exactly what's gonna happen the next day. So here's, here's I'll walk you through it. I close my eyes and I see, I, I can hear my alarm. I can, I see myself, the alarm go off. I see myself grabbing it, turning it off, no snooze, grabbing it, turning it off, jumping out of bed, putting my sweats on, putting my hoodie on, running downstairs, grabbing my headset, Going into the study and uh, getting ready for the call, stretching, grabbing my coffee, doing the call. Then I see myself actually, oh, it's a tomorrow's a lazy day. No problem. I see myself going and slouching in front of the fireplace, turning turning the fireplace on, sitting there, putting a blanket on me. Then I see myself like uh, put on another, another pot of coffee. I see my timer going off. I run up, I wake up my mom, wake up my my son and my daughter. I get them ready, I get myself ready. We do breakfast, I get to work, and I just quickly scan the work calendar in my head. And then I see myself coming back at dinner at the at the right time. So I've made the decision that I'm back at home by six fifteen or whatever it is. I see myself just having dinner with the family, and I see myself like finishing up the day, putting my kids to bed and back in bed again, right where I am right now.
1: So I see so, it really fast. You're extreme. so like I even said at the beginning of the call, you're extremely intentional with everything you do. So visualize. you basically visualize your entire next day. So you make it your reality before the day actually starts so that when you do what you're supposed to do the next day it feels right as opposed to not having a plan and expecting yourself to have the discipline to stay on track on a track that doesn't really exist except for somewhat maybe on your calendar maybe conceptually you know i'm going to do this tomorrow but you're intentionally visualizing exactly what your day is going to look like the next day and you think that that's, that's a key to getting yourself up in the morning?
0: I think so only because uh, the reason that you mentioned, you, you, you just mentioned this before, you're like, hey, you know, I, I, my alarm goes up at five. I can be like, ah, eh, I don't need to do that today. I'll, I'll be fine, right? The reason is because you're allowing your, I think we're allowing ourselves to make the choice in the moment instead of already making the choice. Right. So when I close my eyes and I visual I just I pre-made the choice so when I'm given that same situation again that alarm going off again I know what it's going to look like I know what my phone's going to look like with you I've already made that choice so that so making that choice again seems natural.
1: Right. And, and, and so it's funny you say I think, but it's really like when you say I think and you're telling me about it it's reinforcing your ideas into yourself even more. So you're going to stick to it even more in the future. So this is yeah. a good exercise.
0: Yeah. And, and and the interesting part is uh, once you do it once or twice, you can do it super fast in your head. Right. And sometimes I might not have, I, that's why I also like right before I go to bed, I'll, I'll look at my calendar for the next day and just be super grateful for it. I'm like, Hey, tomorrow I get to hang out with Jared. I haven't talked to him in a few months. Like I'm excited about it. So I can just run through my day in my head. I've also noticed this Jared, is that if I look to my calendar and I feel something stressful about the next day, it's, it's good to know, kind of like, that's a stressful thing coming up because right. there's one or two things that are important here which is why do we put ourselves in these stressful situations there's mm-hmm. no reason for it right mm-hmm. so if if i have a if i if i if i'm working with a client that i don't really enjoy but that client shows up on my calendar every third wednesday and i'm like this is there's no reason for this just
1: again no more of this client
0: yeah and and, and this not and it's we're all very bio-individual. So I think a lot of times it's like, if everything that you look at, look at your calendars is stressful, that means that we probably have a chance to recenter and be like, hey, you know what? I should probably make a few different decisions.
1: And, and, and we don't think that we have the choice to not make those decisions, but you do. Sometimes I, I found myself in business ventures that were taking 80% of my energy each day and making me zero to 10% of my income for months on end. And I'm like, what the hell? What am I doing this for? I'm yeah. wasting my time. I'm becoming a worse person because I'm stressed about this. And it's not even its not even making my life any better. So no yeah. more. And sometimes people don't think that that's okay. They think they have to keep doing what they're doing, but you have the choice. Oh, well, I'll tell you, I'll, I'll give, and, and,
0: and the interesting part is it actually happens to extremely smart and bright people more than it does to the general population, because it, like you said, the extremely smart, bright people, the person that is listening right now is super, they can convince themselves of anything, right?
1: Exactly. And your mind is powerful. It can convince you.
0: <laughs> the, the, I think the reason behind that a lot of times, Jared, is that if you don't know your options, you feel like you don't have any. Mm. And, and Ooh, so when I see something on my calendar, but right? that's a good one. Repeat that one more time. Yeah. If you don't know your options, you don't feel, you feel like you don't have any. Wow. Yeah. And and the interesting part is all we have to do there. You can fix it. All you have to do there is to force yourself to create options. So like if you and I were, you know, if, if let's say you're running a, when, if you're not, we're talking about Zendrop and I'd be like, you'd be like, Oh man, this client, I'd be like, okay, awesome. Um, We're going to come up with five options. So I, I magic, magic number, right? Yeah. Um, because 10 sounds like too many. One one is not helpful. So I'm like, hey, what is one other option? You could fire this person. Cool. What else? Oh, you could change the cool. You you could give someone else point on this. Cool. You could, you know, you could change their payment structure. Cool. You could take a break from this relationship. Cool. You could change this and give it to someone else.
1: Cool. And like, if you don't proactively make those options, now, you won't even know you have them. It's so this the smart people listening here, which I'm sure you're smart if you're listening to this, that the takeaway. Is that you need to be proactive to be able to contain your mind from basically you have to be smarter than your mind is, and it's already smart. <laughs> I think that's kind of the takeaway, and you have to be proactive in giving yourself options so that you could pick what you want to do. So you nailed it because the, you know when
0: when you and I get to chat, it's it's you know it's super fun because um, the the core of this is when you're inside the bottle, it's hard to read the label, right? And mm. so you you see yourself, you know, you have enough awareness that's stressing you out. You're like, well, this sucks. It's like it's stressing me out. But to me, it just, I know I can give you advice because it's from, I, I, I care about you, but I'm not emotionally connected to your product. Right.
1: Right. right.
0: And same for you. When like you're, you're helping me out with one of my clients' e-commerce, Like I have no nothing, but you care about me, but you're not emotionally connected to it. So it'd be super
1: easy for you to do. So that's well, so, why when- I, So yeah. on that note, So you're, you know, if I'm talking to someone that I respect and I have problems that are stressing me out, they're not stressed out by those problems. So they could point them out to me. But on the same note, if you do practice meditation, if you do practice mindfulness, you can actually separate your true self from your mind that's all stressed out and you can see situations with no emotional attachment. So I think that there's a strong um, lesson that you, you could actually almost be your own coach if you're good enough at being present and yeah. you can pull your, your true self away from your mind, that's you're, a deep one to think about, but it's, no, but I've it's, learned uh, that. No, that's so, that's
0: so good. Uh, because I, I think that very few, it, you, we have to, that is the joy of, you know, when people are like, why am I meditating? It, it's like swimming, right? After a while, suddenly like it hits and you're like, wow, I can separate, I can separate these feelings. Um, I, I'll tell you, I've been meditating on and off for a long time. I, 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 can't, I'm not, I can't do that on demand. Uh, right. Me being super honest, I, can't, I yeah. can't do that on demand. And I've noticed that, I've tried I've tried TM, I've tried a lot of things, but I've noticed what works for me really well. And if people wanna get into meditation, I'm sure Jared, you have some ideas. I use, a, I use an app and I literally, it's like, are you stressed? Yes. Are you jumping on a plane? Yes. Like it literally, you pick situationally where you are and it does a guided meditation for like 12 minutes. And I What's instantly- that
1: Budify, Budify. All right, yeah. we'll we'll put that in the uh, in the show notes. Yeah,
0: Budify. It's I think it's free. You just you have to say hey, I'm at work and I want to break, or I just woke up. You decide. You tell them. You tell the app where you are, and it gives you like something guided for that ten minutes, and I'm I instantly feel better. Um, yeah.
1: Well, I, I think also you know we live in a state of so much information that oftentimes we get this feeling of like ambient stress and ambient anxiety. And we don't know where it's coming from because we have so many things on our minds, on our phones. All. So, so, you know, sometimes when you meditate or you just sit there and you could separate yourself, the, the things that are causing those feelings just bubble up and you realize it's like, Oh, it's because I have to call that person. And I've been dreading it and I've been putting it off for two weeks. If I just did that, and I think it's it's a consistent challenge of curing yourself of that amb- ambient anxiety. And I don't think we've ever lived in a time like this right. where you're so prone and you're so inclined to having those feelings. So it's really important that people like you and I are having these discussions yeah. and, and spreading this word. I think it's such a powerful thing to talk about.
0: I, I am, if if there's, any, you know, and I think you, I like your, I like your, um, your uh, your wording way better than mine. I like the ambient stress a lot. I call it, you know, when I talk about it a lot, I call it drag. There's just drag, just drag yeah, right. And and, and it, it was I didn't know a, a better word for it, but but a lot of the reason the only only way that I know uh, to mechanically relieve drag is to plan, and and a lot of us think that you know I think our culture today has talked, uh, you know, that promotes the hustle and grind a lot. They're like, just, doesn't matter what you do, just work your face grind, off and, it, grind, it, and grind. just grind, grind, grind. And, and I always, uh, my, you know, I say this, I said, you know, the hustle and grind will leave you tired and resentful, right? And and the, the crazy part is I did the hustle and grind. I was, I got super sick. It was super painful. I almost Damn. lost my family. And, and I, I, that's too hard for me. So well, I'll tell you what I do. Jared, I literally probably spend right now 70% of my usable time, call it billable hours, 70% of my time, I probably spend in some way, shape or form planning.
1: But but it's important to note that you do spend 25% of your time executing because a lot of people over plan <laughs> and never make any, any action. Yes. So, so take note of that. He's still using 25% of his time. Yeah.
0: And and the reason also is what I think happens is um, the, the planning is so it's become so beautiful and joyful now that I enjoy the, the planning process so much that when I'm, when I jump on the phone with you, I can be like, Hey, let me show, we talk about something I'm like, let me show you how I did this. And I show you my planning and you're like, Oh, cool. I got the idea. Right. Cause something clicked. Because you and I never don't need to talk about execution. You know what's up. But but suddenly you're like, oh, I see this strategy here that he used. And so I've actually uh, started to do planning where either it's a mind map or it's a graphical representation or where I, I'm planning a lot on paper. I've gotten to the point, Jared, where I'm sharing my planning with people. And I'm like, you don't have to plan, but what, about, what gave you the insight from this? And whenever you're stressed, I say, whenever you're stressed, just stop and plan. Just yeah. say, Hey, what I'm so, doing so, the next 24 so,
1: hours. This is, this is good stuff, but I don't, I don't want you to go too much deeper yet because a lot of people listening and myself included are like, okay, cool. I want to plan. Where do I start? What tools do I use? Yeah. Where Like where do I begin? Cause I actually wanted to get on a call with you and talk about, mm-hmm. cause here's the thing, you know, I get emails from you, you know, once a week, once every two weeks that are jam packed with, tons of like, of good, valuable, not fluff, like valuable content. I see you posting high quality content on social media, you're executing in your business, you're getting a lot of shit done. How, like, what tools do you use to plan and organize? And like, and where do you start? Yeah, totally. Let's walk through that process. Because I think this is, thank you
0: for asking is my, my probably my favorite thing of all is this. So three step process, if you are listening right now, and so if, Jared and I were hanging out and, you know, and we had 20 minutes. This is what I would, you know, we would, we would work on together. The first thing I would say is there is, we got to eliminate this ambient stress, which is the drag, right? So, because it's very hard for anybody to just go into planning right away. It's super difficult because there's, our minds are kind of uh, messy right now. So the first thing I would say is it's not a brain dump, but it's like, take a piece of paper. You have the front and back of a, of a, eight and a half by 11 paper, you can fill it as much as you want, but I want you to write down every single thing you think you need to do. It can be pay taxes, walk the dog, fix my elbow, you know, uh, I I need a better driver, whatever it may be, right? Just everything that is on your mind that you think you need to do, you should write it down. You'll probably stop in like the three minute mark and you will get everything out. That's when the good stuff happens. That's when the, that's when that's the difference between the conscious and all the unconscious drag. Yep. That's when I will force you to fill both sides of the paper with everything. So once you get all that out, you're in a very clean state. And so that would be part, part one. So you're just getting everything out and, but doing it all in the form of what action do I need to take? Cause I'm trying to eliminate drag. So step and, and one, and
1: once you start, they start rolling, by the way, oh, if oh, you yeah. think of them in your head, you might come up with 10. you start writing you're gonna write 40 or 50 i've done it
0: but but the best part is once you have it all you're like this is all i need to do i am not as stressed about it because this is way easily accomplished right Right. on the piece of paper now there's a second exercise so right after i do that this is really good to do the second exercise and a lot of management gurus talk about this i really love this it's the start stop continue exercise and i love it it's just take a piece of paper draw three it's just got three columns one start one stop one continue And, um, I start, I I like to do the stop first because you can't add things to your plate before you remove something off because we're all jammed anyway. So, and a lot of people like, well, Sharon, I don't want to stop, you know, I don't want to stop exercising. I don't want to stop eating meat. I don't want to stop. And I'm like, you don't have to stop forever. Just would you stop for 90 days? Right. That's all I'm asking. So now you're like, okay, cool. What am I going to stop for 90 days? So the the column is just, what am I going to stop for 90 days? And so you'll come up with three, five, seven things that she's going to say, you know what, I'm going to stop snoozing for 90 days. I'm going to stop drinking alcohol for 90 days. I'm going to stop partying for now. I'm going to stop doing Netflix for 90 days. Uh, No more than one episode of Netflix binging. Like my, actually, I have a client that says he binges on Netflix a lot because that's his stress reliever. And I said, continue watching, but tell yourself no more than one episode per night. Right, It changed his life. And I'm like, this is so crazy that that was like the most amount of advice I gave you for a lot of money that you paid me. He's like, it changed my life, right? But yeah. because we did the start, stop, continue exercise. So when you do the stop, you'll realize that you now have time to add a few things. So if you say, hey, I wanna go on a walk, I wanna create content, I wanna write, because all we tell ourselves is I do need to write stuff, but you're like, where in my world am I gonna fit it? Right,
1: up? yeah. Right.
0: So I always say five things that you're going to start five things that you're going to stop. That way they kind of sort of match up. So you don't yeah. feel like, you, and it's only for 90 days. Mm-hmm. And then the continue is your pat on the back. You're like, Hey, you know what? I'm still meditating for an hour a day. Cool. I want to continue that. I'm still hanging out and cooking dinner with uh, with my fiance. I want to hang out and do that. Whatever you do, the continue stuff is really important. That gives you the, Hey, I'm doing a certain things that are good. I'm going to continue that. So I call it the five. Five, five. five yep. start five, stop five. Continue it gives you a little framework. So now you're like, okay, cool. What do I do with this? My favorite thing then, Jared, this is my last part, is I like to just do a 90-day plan. So in the next 90 days, I literally do um, month one, month two, month three. What am I going to focus on? Like, what are my projects? And the hard part here is that people think that they have so much. So the original data dump that we did, that's when I literally go through each one and I do one, two, or three. Is is it the first month, the second month, or the third month? That way, then I take each of those and I just put it in each of the months. Right. That's it. So now you've taken the whole exercise where you know that, hey, I data dumped all these things I have to do. Now I know where in the months they're going to go. I literally don't have anything else to do. So I'm only going to do this and that my 90-day plan becomes my Bible. And I only look at that. I actually have my 90-day plan hanging on my wall right now. That is all I have. I don't think about anything else. Everything else is next quarter.
1: Right, and, and and when your mind is like, oh, you should do this instead, or you should, you know, that you already were intentional in what you're doing, so you got to just stick to it. So you got to have the discipline to stick to it. That's right. the, That's the missing piece. Right. The, 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 the cool
0: part is this, though. Right. Once you start knocking stuff, the the reason why most people are not executing on is that they feel like I have these forty-one things to do, but I don't know should I do it now? Should I do it later? Is it important? And when you, when you just slot them in the right spots, you're like, Oh, cool. I don't have to worry about these things in months two and three. I just have to do this in month one. Awesome. Let me get this done. And once you do one and you see the check off the list, you get traction. Jared, I think it's super hard. Like the one year plans are hard because they feel so far away, but the 90 days feels long enough where I can make, I can make progress, but short enough where I can see the end. So that's, yeah.
1: So first of all, I think this exercise is amazing. Um, I think that there's one other thing that you need to do that that a lot of listeners need to do before they even start this exercise. And that's define their vision. Because a lot of people don't even know what they want their life to look like. They think they know what they want their life to look like. They think that they, you know, if they only had the car that they saw on Instagram, they would finally be happy. Or if they only, you know, were able to travel to this country like that other guy, they would finally be happy, and but there's all this shit. There's, there's so much information. There's so many. There's so much stimuli that makes you think you know what you want. So one of the things that were extru- that I would say this is the single biggest thing that's that's propelled my career, and it, and it was at a Tony Robbins event. It was at a UPW event. Yeah, um, it was defining my vision very vividly exactly what I wanted my home to be like, the type of person I wanted to be like, with, the person I wanted to be. Did I want to be more compassionate? You know, did I want to be funnier? Did I want to be more serious? You know, the, the type of car I wanted in my driveway specific to the color, the, the type of food I want to eat regularly, the body I wanted, and, and clearly define it all because then when you're planning, you got to make sure that each of those plans are a little step in the direction toward your vision. Yeah. A oh, lot of people, if they don't know what they want, they're like, oh, I'm going to do this. But they're they're heading in all these different directions. So I, I, I think at least that defining that vision super clearly. And the problem is that, like, a lot of people listening might be like, okay, I'll define the vision. And they're sitting there and they're thinking and they're like, well, the vision's not coming to me. Well, it's <laughs> like, it's not going to just come to you. You need to get yourself in the right state first. Yep. You know, yep. you, you need to get yourself at a high energy state first. Like, if I... If I just finished this podcast. Okay, I'm in a good energy because we just talked, but I've been sitting here for literally 8 hours today. <laughs> my body's tired, my endorphins are low. If I try to think of my vision, it's going to come out not that good. But if I go and I, I do a run, I drink some water, I push out some push-ups, you know, I put on some good music, I beat my chest a little bit, whatever it is, then the the real the vision of who I really want to be will come out. So, for anyone listening who's like Mm-hmm. I understand this, but I don't know how to make it happen. It does start with your body. It does start with your getting yourself in a high energy state to define that vision. And then I think what Sharon just said is so, it, 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 it sounds simple, but it is so important to do that at least once every few months, because we are, so many of us are living in the state of ambient anxiety. And we don't know why we feel this way. Yeah. I'm sure, 50 to 80% of listeners or more can relate to that feeling. Of course. I think that the exercise we just talked about is extremely practical. So and, th- and, thank and, you for sharing. And let's
0: people not forget, I, Jared, when you and I were hanging out before, I think this was over Christmas time, you did it. Like you literally yeah. wrote down, remember, you, like, you wrote down and you sent me a scan. I was like, this is insane. Like it was 41 things. I was like, this is amazing. We can actually knock stuff off of this. List.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah. It gave me so much clarity because listen, I'm, I'm 30 years old. I don't know everything by any means I'm learning every single day. You know, I have, I'm running Zen drop, which is a big business. I have Mm -hmm. between Zen drop, my agency, 20 something employees. Now I have, I'm a first time homeowner homeowner. There's a leak in the, in the roof. I have two dogs. Mm -hmm. I have a fiance. We're planning a wedding. You know, I'm trying to stay healthy. Sometimes it's, it's overwhelming, you know, And, and some people have much more overwhelming circumstances than I do. So, you know, and going through this and, and talking to you about it was super helpful to me. So anyone listening, I, I highly encourage you guys to take action on what we just discussed.
0: Yeah, man, it's awesome. It's awesome.
1: So Sharon, I I, I wanted to talk to you more about your career, but your your mind is much more fascinating to me. <laughs> and the only reason I would talk to you about your career is to validate you to people listening so they know you've accomplished a lot. I know you've accomplished a lot. And to me, your, your, your thought process, um, the, the different ways that you set your life to be intentional. I mean, you're, you're an amazing father. You're overall just a high energy, happy guy every time I talk to you. So to be able to get in inside your mind is, uh, is a privilege. And I, I appreciate that. I know we're running low on time here and I'm going to be respectful of your time. Um, I'm going to want to have you come on here again. and I'm sure other people are too, but just some closing words, uh, yeah. anything that you want to get out to the listeners before we wrap up?
0: Yeah, so so t- totally. Well, first, thank you for that. Thank you for the kind words. I'd say that um, if you if you took away, if you're listening you took away one thing that listening to Jared specifically that even I was making notes on is uh, the limits of your language are the limits of your world right the limits of your language at the limits of your world so when someone when you see something written well when you see something explained well when you see sometimes a the word beautiful is not enough it needs to be gorgeous sometimes you know the the how things are explained is super important because the your mind and your your vivid vision doesn't come to life without that so take a lot of care in how you're using language well because how you create and define that is literally how your life's going to turn out so just remember the limits of your language at the limits of your world.
1: Just another great piece of advice, Sharon, thank you so much for spending this hour with me. Um, I'm sure everyone listening really appreciates you. You're such an amazing human being. Uh, and, you know, I look forward to having you on here again.
0: You got it, man. Hey, thank you for having me. A lot of people don't realize how how hard all the stuff is to take, to make time to produce it, to share this. So, Kudos to you for creating and using your platform to share this. So I appreciate, appreciate you having me on.
1: All, all about making the world a better place and you're, uh, you're helping a lot. So thanks a lot, Sharon. Got it, man.
0: Hey, Sharon, I have a cool gift for you. I took some of my best ideas from the last 20 years and created a five-day MBA. It's quick and action-packed, That you can listen to on the go, just like this podcast. And I want to give it to you for free, just as a thank you for listening to the show. No fluff, no gimmicks, just pure actionable ideas for you to use instantly. You can grab it right now at businessschoolshow.com. That's businessschoolshow.com.